Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bring us joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the second chapter of Daniel, uh, you know the part that doesn't talk about lions and fiery furnaces, there's a beautiful and unique verse. It says of God, He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells in Him. I was working with a hotel coordinator for our pastor's conference, and she asked, how do you like your room? They were in the middle of a multi-million dollar renovation. I mean everything. But my answer probably wasn't exactly what she expected. I said, ah, the renovations are great, but you know those really bright lights that shine in the windows? You know, the blue ones? (laughs) And she turned and she said, yeah, we just installed those so that everybody, no matter where they are, can see our hotel. And I just smiled because, yeah, that blue light went right around the curtains and it was just as bright at 1 a.m. as it was at 1 p.m. Darkness is only good for two things, sleeping and hiding. We tend to want it to be dark when we sleep, but, but we can be uncomfortable walking or waiting in the darkness, especially if we're in a strange place. And the longer we wait in the darkness, the more uncomfortable it becomes. I don't need to tell you about hiding in the dark, because most of us, well, we know all about that. The Bible promises that God is present everywhere. The fancy theological word is omnipresence. Right before he went back to heaven, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth, or the ends of the age, depending on which translation you pick up. Because John says Jesus is the light of the world, we assume that wherever Jesus is, there is light. Then we also start to assume where there isn't light, Jesus isn't there. Darkness is disorienting. Every woke up in the dark and didn't know where you were, Or had the power go out on a moonless night when you couldn't see anything, including the flashlight that you keep, well, you know, right there on that shelf just for such occasions, even though you know the batteries are probably dead. Yeah, that kind of darkness is one thing. Our night vision kicks in. We finally turn on light. The the power comes back on. We light a candle. The the darkness gets pushed back enough that uh, we're no longer as disoriented or afraid. There is another kind of darkness the kind that isn't conquered by a light bulb, flashlight, or candle. This kind of darkness is of the soul. So what are you grieving right now? And by the way, I'm not just talking about friends and loved ones who are no longer with us, who died in the past year or even more than that. See, you can grieve anything that has been taken away, or even things that haven't been taken away yet, but you know they're going to be. Innocence, love, beauty, faith, common sense, civility. I'll let you add your own grievings to the list. At the funeral for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the traditional Jewish litany, may her memory be for blessing, was spoken. The words are a challenge to those who grieve, to those who mourn, not to let the loss the darkness consume them, but rather see in the loss and darkness the beginnings of something beautiful and worthy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The fancy Latin term, ex nihilo, God created out of nothing. 
See, God grew, he, he, he literally drew light out of darkness. God drew life out of emptiness. God drew beauty and love and faith out of nothingness. When St. John goes to tell the story of Jesus, he is the last one to write his gospel, which means that he has to write the same thing in just a little different way, perhaps for a little different audience. So he starts his gospel off. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, nothing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. Genesis 1 and John 1 point to creation. Christmas and the cross all being intertwined, so tangled and dependent upon one another that they cannot nor should they be separated. God is not surprised by history. When Adam and Eve rebelled, God didn't have to come up with a plan to save them. He didn't suddenly say, oh, that did not go the way that I thought it would. Nope, he had to come up with a plan to save them and all the other thems that were going to be born, including us. God already had a plan. You see, Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, which means that God chose us. God chose us even before He spoke those words, let there be. It's those words before the foundation of the world that are so important. I just need you to know that God chose you before you were born, before you messed anything up, before you even did anything right. He simply chose you because you are you. He didn't wait to get your permission or see how things were going to turn out or whether there would be enough room for heaven. In fact, God said heaven just won't be the same without you. And what this season celebrates is when it comes to loving you, when it comes to saving you from anything and everything that you need to be saved from, God's got skin in the game, literally. Wrinkly, wet, newly birthed with the smell that only newborns have. And some crying, yes, crying, in spite of that hymn that tries to convince that the baby Jesus never cried or pooped or, well, never not took a nap. That newly born skin, 33 or so years older, became beaten, bloody, and crucified, newly dead skin. Which, by the way, would have really messed with God's promise, except that three days after it was newly dead skin, it became newly resurrected skin. It still had the holes from the nails and the spear, though. But I'm getting ahead of myself and jumping to Lent while it's still Advent, which, by the way, is a real problem for just about everybody. We don't like waiting in the darkness. We want it to be Christmas already. We want it to be Easter already. I mean, can't we just skip Advent, Lent, and especially Good Friday? John the Baptizer is no longer standing in the Jordan River baptizing people, nor is he on the shore pointing to Jesus and saying, Look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. No more pithy remarks about the Pharisees being a brood of vipers or telling soldiers to be content with their pay. Nope, John's in prison. And he's in prison because he told the truth. And whereas Pontius Pilate was at least willing to ask, what is truth? King Herod has decidedly decided what truth is. And he didn't like John's truth at all. So he stuck him in prison and will eventually lop off his head to keep him quiet in hopes of silencing the truth. All this makes it a little hard for John to do his work of getting things ready for the Messiah. You know, filling in the potholes and straightening roads and lowering mountains and raising valleys. It's a very important job and a tough one. And it's just about impossible if you're in prison. Ever had too much time to think? 
and as a result overanalyze things? You send an email or text message and the person doesn't reply immediately and so you start thinking, oh, they must be angry at me. Or maybe they were kidnapped by aliens or maybe they took a trip to the South Pole and they don't have internet service. Ever gotten a piece of mail and the moment you saw the return address, you didn't even bother to open it. You knew exactly what it was going to say. Ever held an envelope in your hand? Had your finger over the send button? And the hesitation about dropping this letter in the mailbox or hitting send was because even though it's always what you wanted, because it's an application, it's, it's, it literally is your dreams all written down in a piece of paper. And it's something you've always thought about, but, but the hesitation is there because you're having your doubts. I can't count the number of times I've planned the perfect life, the perfect ministry, the perfect church, even the perfect pizza and the perfect Christmas. And when I tried to bring it about, I, I couldn't. It just wasn't what I had in mind. It's not what I dreamed of. I asked Alexa how many different religions there are in the world, and without any hesitation, she said 4,200. She didn't tell me exactly how she came up with that number. What I do know is there are a lot of different ideas about who God is and what heaven is like and how you get there and how you make God happy. And so I'll be honest, 4,200, I, I think, is a real low number. I, I think it's a lot higher than that. So why are you a follower of Jesus? Out of all the different religions and all the different things they offer, why is it you've chosen to follow Jesus? John is sitting in prison. At least his camel hair jacket would have kept him warm. And if you're used to eating honey and locusts as your diet, I mean, how bad could prison food be? He has way too much time to think. And he goes back to that moment where he was standing on the bank of the Jordan River and he looked over and saw Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. But given where he is at right now in prison and things aren't looking real good, he starts to wonder, did he make a mistake? Is Jesus really the one? And so John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or, or should we look for somebody else? And Jesus, being Jesus, doesn't actually answer the question. He tells them to go back to John and tell him what they saw. And then, because he's also Jesus, he uh, makes sure that they saw what they needed to see. And so he says, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are given the good news. Uh, again, not the answer unless you happen to be an Old Testament scholar and know that Isaiah 35 or Psalm 146 or our Old Testament reading this morning equate those things with the arrival of the Messiah. And Jesus does this intentionally because this particular question cannot be answered by someone just telling you who Jesus is. Faith requires us to wrestle with the question, and not just for a moment, literally wrestle with it our whole life. And it's more than just, is Jesus the Messiah? Because even if we settle that and say, okay, Jesus is the Messiah, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for our life? What does it mean for our church, our community, our world? Our world today isn't waiting for the Messiah to show up. Now, people are waiting. They're just not waiting for Jesus. They're sitting in the darkness, and it's uncomfortable, awkward, annoying, perhaps even scary for a lot of them, waiting and wondering if and when the darkness is going to give way to the light. Now, how that light will come and in what form, they really don't care. It could be a politician, an actor or actress, a song or a movie, a pizza. They don't care how it happens. They just want the darkness to go away, even if the darkness only goes away for a moment or two. See, waiting does not take place in a vacuum. 
I know that time is fixed. 60 seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour, 24 hours to a day. But there are times when time goes way too fast. And other times where it seems to slow down to an unbearable pace. And when time is going really, really slowly, it is usually because we have a need, a want, a desire that is so overwhelming, so necessary, that we are literally dying while we wait for it. In the book, turned into a musical, which got turned into a movie, Les Miserables, Victor Hugo writes these words for Jean Valjean. The pupil dilates in darkness and in the end finds light just as the soul dilates in misfortune and in the end finds God. Back to the opening quote from Daniel. God reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. We need not fear the darkness nor what is in the darkness. God knows what is there. There are scary, terrible things, but there are also joys and wonderment just waiting for God to call them out of the darkness. We light our candles. We put lights on our houses and trees. Whether that is wishful thinking or just like a little child who needs a night light, it doesn't matter. God knows what's in the dark, and light dwells within him. God is light, and wherever he is, there is enough light to see what needs to be seen. Oh, maybe not as much light as we would like but enough. A long time ago, Pastor Frederick Beekner went each day to the hospital to watch someone he loved so much die before him. In spite of all of his sermons, Bible classes, and theological writings, which are brilliant, which is why he's one of the individuals who was my mentor, the darkness was almost overwhelming. I want to give you the words that he wrote in his book, A Room Called Remember. I did not love God, God knows, because I was some sort of saint or hero. I did not love him because I suddenly saw the light, because there was almost no light at all. Or because I hoped by loving him to persuade him to heal the young woman I loved. I loved him because I couldn't help myself. I loved him because the one who commands us to love is the one who also empowers us to love. As there in the wilderness of that dark and terrible time I was, through no doing of my own, empowered to love him at least a little, at least enough to survive. And in the midst of it, these small things happened that were as big as heaven and earth, because through them a hope beyond hopelessness happened. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The final secret, I think, is this, that the words, you shall love your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, become in the end less a command than a promise. On Christmas Eve at midnight, when we read the words, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, we understand two things. First, the darkness, well, at least for now, it very much remains. But second, it cannot, no matter how hard it tries, extinguish the light of God. We stop to let our eyes adjust to the darkness around us, and if we wait long enough, we will see God. And we know eventually He will call us out of the darkness and into the light. But until then, we know that we are not alone, that we do not need to be afraid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.